Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, uh, and this is a bonus episode uh, because after we recorded last week's or this week's episode on Friday, uh, man, news just started breaking uh, like like crazy, uh, and we realized we would probably need to dedicate a whole episode to the boycott, uh, advertising boycott happening to Facebook, which is also in some cases a content boycott as well. This is something that has grown steam very quickly uh, in recent days. Uh, and to joining me to go over what's happened, why it's happening, uh, who, which all companies are involved, and uh, how it's continuing to build steam is Scott Nover, who covers platforms uh, with me here at Adweek. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for making time for us. Hey, of course. Thanks for, so much for having me, David. You've had a busy few days. I've had a busy, yeah, <laughs> busy last couple months. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, like, when did you start with Adweek? I started February 3rd, um, but soon after that, the pandemic hit, and then um, obviously the, the Black Lives Matter protests and just my beat ramped up with all the content moderation stuff that ensued after that. So it's been, it feels like I've been here for a few decades. Now. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it is funny how like uh, your your beat didn't exist specifically the way it is now before before you joined, and we were like, man, it'd be really good to have someone dedicated to covering platforms in this kind of way, and boy. Couldn't have, couldn't have happened at a better time and with a better reporter. Uh, Scott does a fantastic job covering this space. Uh, his, his coverage is a must-read on Adweek.com. Uh, and we're going to dive into some of it, but obviously you can read a lot more about any of the things we're talking about today on Adweek.com and check out Scott's reporting. Uh, but we're going to give you the the overview here because even you know, as someone who I am on Adweek all day, every day, and uh, even I, can't, I cannot keep pace uh, with what's happening with this story. Scott, start us out with how this really got rolling um, and, and and basically how did it become a boycott? Sure. So uh, consternation around Facebook's content moderation and that on social media in general has always been an issue. Um, and especially as advertising has been introduced to these platforms and um, there's been kind of multiple audiences that these companies need to appeal to. But um, the most recent incarnation of it, what we're seeing bubble up right now with this Facebook advertiser boycott, really all started um, when Donald Trump posted um, a, a pretty incendiary post on Twitter and Facebook almost simultaneously saying, quote, when the looting start, the shooting starts. Now that was a um, kind of that was in response to the George Floyd protest that had just started to spring up in Minneapolis around his killing by police. And it was a pretty incendiary uh, post, to say the least, uh, if not fully racist. Um, the, the quote that he, he um, 
he said, harken back to a, a Miami police chief uh, who, who used it specifically about um, black protesters. Um, and so Facebook and Twitter kind of had very diverging um, stances on how to treat that exact language. Twitter um, restricted that post and said it glorified violence, and Facebook did nothing about it and said that it didn't violate its rules around and, um, inciting violence. Um, so that kind of kicked off this entire thing we've seen in the days since, uh, or the month month or so since, um, Facebook has received pressure from its own employees, from Vice President Joe Biden, from civil rights groups, from um, other companies, and now it has kind of boiled up into a full-out advertiser boycott, the likes of which we haven't really seen to this extent before, though Facebook has received pressure from advertisers and some have left the platform before and different circumstances. Um, but really what we're seeing right now is of a different scale than we've seen before. And there's some really big name brands that have left um, and kind of vowed uh, to stop advertising on Facebook and Instagram for at least the month of July uh, to kind of protest hate speech uh, and unfettered kind of um, hateful rhetoric on the platform. Yeah, and so in a lot of cases, these brands are some that are already socially active. And I think Ben and Jerry's is in there, and uh, you've got you know what REI and a few of the North Face. Um, but then you've you've got some some of the biggest uh, marketing brands uh, and their parent companies on Earth. Yeah, um, I can just read through the list alphabetically a little bit just to give you a sense of how big this is. Adidas, yeah. Honda. American Honda, Beam Suntory, one of the biggest liquor distributors, Ben & Jerry's, uh, Birchbox, um, Verizon, um, Chobani, Clorox, Coca-Cola, ConAgra, Denny's, Diageo. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's some really big brands, uh, some that have aligned themselves with quote-unquote progressive causes in the past and made business decisions in accord with that, uh, and some that um, certainly have not in the past or have had their fair share of their own kind of uh, issues around race and, and um, in, in the past. So it seems now that the kind of dam has burst and we can kind of go back and see how this all started in terms of the pressure to get these guys, um, these companies to do this. But um, the North Face was the first to move. Um, I think it was last fr uh, two Fridays ago now. Um, it's about 10 days ago. Uh, it's direct competitors in the outdoors, outdoor apparel space, uh, including REI, uh, which is one of its distributors and, and a competitor, and, um, and, and some others joined as well, and then it kind of exploded from there. Yeah, the, and, and let's talk about, before we get kind of back to the brands and, and how this thing is snowballing, let's talk about the demands here. There are several uh, kind of social justice organizations, some very well-known ones, the Anti-Defamation League, the NAACP, uh, and Sleeping Giants, uh, which for those in advertising are probably aware, has been active in this space uh, for quite a while, trying to get uh, brands to stop funding Usually media outlets, I would say, um, that it feels are, are in violation. There's equivalents of this overseas as well. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think typically we see it uh, aimed at something like Fox News or maybe, at you know, a Tucker Carlson or something like that. Uh, with Facebook, it, the, to your point earlier about this feeling somewhat unprecedented or just, just straight up unprecedented, uh, it's, it's snowballing in, the, in this really incredible way. But what are they, what, what is the, I guess, the formal side of the boycott? What are they asking for? 
Yeah, and just to back up for a second, I think that the origins of this are pretty interesting, um, and they do include Sleeping Giants and two other groups um, that I would just call liberal advocacy groups, Media Matters for America, which is kind of a media watchdog, also aimed at kind of um, reporting on the unsavory parts of conservative media, and a group called Detox Facebook, which is an anonymous group of advertising industry um, personnel that popped up to kind of spur this boycott along. So they were kind of the first three to say, let's, you know, let's pressure advertisers to get them away from Facebook. And then it kind of formalized with a pro- with this current campaign, which is called Stop Hate for Profit. And that's been kind of formalized by a number of civil rights groups, like you said, including the Anti-Defamation League, the NAACP, um, and, and, and a number of others, including the groups I just mentioned. Um, and so that's kind of from there, you know, that's really when the, the big brands got involved. It was just kind of a handful of smaller companies until then. But to talk about kind of what they're asking for, you know, they, they do have a list of, of kind of demands on their website, um, but, but the general kind of language, and I can just read from a little bit of their statement, um, to get let, let you get a better idea of what, what they're kind of saying around this, uh, quote, Facebook has refused to stop prioritizing profits over the well-being of our society, but advertisers can, which is why we're urging companies to take a pause from spending on Facebook ads until it makes common sense changes on the platform to, pro- to protect our children, our democracy, and social justice in the country. And that was um, from James Steyer, who runs Common Sense, uh, one of the other groups that's involved with this. Um, so that's kind of the broad-based um, kind of ask. They want to stop Facebook and advertising, um, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram advertising until Facebook does something. Um, and they do have a list of demands. They want to create a separate moderation pipeline for uh, users uh, targeted due to race, religion, ethnicity, gender, etc. Um, they want to give opportunities for victim of hate, victims of hate and harassment, uh, the ability to speak with Facebook. They want um, data around identity-based hate on the platform. I'm just kind of reading through their list of demands. They want advertisers to be able to know when their ads are shown next to unsavory content and get refunds for that, kind of a brand safety issue, as we call it, and, um, and, and some other kind of reforms. But I think the, the ultimate issue is they just want to see Facebook do something. And uh, we're seeing kind of a little bit of that shell crack, but nothing radical from Facebook right now, who says that they're not going to give in to revenue pressure um, to make policy uh, policy prescriptions. But what is their current status? This is another one where I have to admit I've gotten a little behind because this thing moves so quickly. Where is Facebook right now on whether it will or will not uh, weigh in or, or wade in on political ads, on misinformation, on the president's posts. What, what's their current uh, status? Yeah, so there are a lot of issues coming out, like coming to a head right now. There's, you know, what should should um, politicians and world leaders like the president be held to regular rules? Uh, that's actually the one place that we have seen some um, progress, as these groups would call it, in terms of. Uh, getting Facebook to have a a, uh, a different stance on um, on hateful content. Basically, they they announced last week after saying they wouldn't do it is they are going to flag or label um, posts by politicians or world leaders that violate their rules. They're not going to take them down if they're newsworthy, um, but they're going to show users that whatever you're looking at violates our our rules. And basically, if you weren't a world leader, this would be taken down. 
Um, and so that is kind of in league with Twitter's um, Twitter stance. Um, and then there's just a number of different issues that Facebook has come under fire for, including the fact that they refuse to fact check political ads. Uh, they've made a little concession there, and now they say that users can hide political ads. They don't have to see them if they go into their settings and opt out. Um, and then there's just general kind of misinformation and disinformation on the platform, fake news kind of um, bubbling up to the top, uh, issues of misinformation in Facebook groups. Um, it, it's kind of every fast, everything that you can think of, you know, about every feature that Facebook has, you can think that it's, you know, it, there is some misinformation uh, element to it that people are criticizing. Now, it, it's important to note that this is not just Facebook. Um, several, if not if not most, of the participants in this boycott, some of the biggest ones, uh, Coke uh, specifically, has is pulling out of all social media, I believe. Uh, and you know, specifically, you hear Twitter brought up uh, in this conversation a lot, uh, and. It, that I think Procter and Gamble. I think Procter and Gamble also said, "Well, we're looking at all of our platforms and how they're addressing this." So, it, it, does it feel like they're, you know, to me that almost feels like a bit of a cop out in the sense of it's almost like they don't want to seem like they're coming out a hundred percent against Facebook so much as just they're coming out against racism. So they're saying, you know, this isn't just about Facebook. How I, I guess how are you seeing that in terms of? Are they just as angry at Twitter as they are at Facebook, or is this really just Facebook and they don't want to seem like they're just calling it out directly? I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't think any company is perfect on um, rooting out hate or misinformation or any of the issues that we've seen here. Um, Twitter has distinguished itself from Facebook and made a number of very kind of opposite decisions, including banning all political advertising last year, just kind of setting themselves up, you know, so they don't fall for these for these kind of traps that Facebook is is falling in right now, um, but you know I think that right now the dam has burst where it is a different calculation for a company to join this boycott. It is probably seen as a good PR move to do that at this point. Um, it's certainly popular um, amongst really big brands, and there's a lot of pressure from um, individuals or you know maybe internal employees or. Um, any number of forces to kind of go along with it. So, you know, I think that uh, the calculations have changed a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I think that they're not necessarily, I don't know how mad any one of these companies is. Um, I can't you know, peer into their soul. The ones I've talked to, you know, um, seem to kind of agree with the NAACP and the ADL and, and kind of trust their word for it. If they're un unhappy with um, Facebook, then, then they'll, they'll, they'll agree on that. Um, you know, I think most of them is, you know, there is this specific boycott campaign directed at Facebook. Um, and for the most, most of them that aren't the Unilevers or Coca-Colas of the, of the world that kind of ha want to have it both ways, um, they are just kind of agreeing to, uh, the demands of the, uh, the boycott movement, the official boycott campaign and, and saying, we'll, we'll act in solidarity with that for now. I, I do. I do like the ones that say we're pulling our money off Facebook, but not Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I think that, and that's kind of the questions that we here at Adweek have been trying to ask. Um, it's so it's a little bit less of that. Um, you know, let's get some good PR out of this and and look like we're aligned. You know, against hate. Um, we are asking um, and, and and making sure that we have answers on whether these companies are pulling out of Facebook and Instagram. 
um, as well. A lot of users and consumers don't really don't always realize that they're the same company, but they're the same company. Um, as well as um, whether they're there's another number of other things. Whether they're pausing, you know, just paid um, advertising or organic social organic social posting as well, or also uh, if they're employing. Facebook's ad tech, uh, the Facebook audience network, which allows um, companies to run ads on third-party apps. Um, we're asking about that as well because, um, you know, it's not for us to say whether this is a um, this is a campaign that they should be a part of or not. Um, but, you know, there are some hypocrisies if you're kind of trying to get those PR points and not really <laughs> divesting your money from from that campaign. So we're, we're just kind of keeping our keeping everyone in check here, which is what we do. I do want to talk about some of the other platforms that have made major moves in the last few days. Um, not necessarily in response to this, although it sure seems coincidental in timing. Uh, we've had Reddit, Twitch, and all that. But, but before we get into those, um, let's talk about agencies, because I will say, you know, as you were listing all these companies that have come out with their their statements, however strong or however weak you think some of these comments are, uh, it, it, to me, you know, who's who's dead quiet is the agencies. Um, you know, I've personally reached out to dozens, uh, literally dozens of agencies. I've heard back from a few kind of small um, shops, and then every other kind is just crickets, you know. And I, I not to sound cynical. Although I am, I'm very cynical. But like <laughs> the uh, there's, it's highlighting the fact that Facebook, like a lot of major companies, has diversified its agency portfolio. Nothing, nothing weird or all that surprising about that. But man, when you look at the agencies they work with, it sure is interesting that they all are owned by different holding companies and different parent companies. Uh, you know, you've got uh, BBDO is owned by uh, Omnicom. You've got Widen and Kennedy, which is independent, uh, and Droga5, which is owned by Accenture. Uh, you've got Leo Burnett owned by Publicis. Like there's, honestly, I think it's like every holding company except maybe IPG. Uh, and this represents something like, you know, 80% of all advertising around the world. And so it creates a conflict of interest. I think we're all we we all would feel comfortable saying that agencies can't talk about it. And it what what the reason that that's important to me, um, as as someone who fancies himself a watchdog for this industry, is that if I'm a client, right? I'm a client of Widen and Kennedy. I'm a client of uh, Leo Burnett or whichever one of these agencies. And I'm not Facebook, and I'm not owned by Facebook. And I come to them and I say, should I take my money out of Facebook? Should I be a part of this boycott? Um, you know, should I be, what should I be doing? It's a weird position to be in if that if that agency is taking money from Facebook and Instagram, right? And being like, oh, no, you should definitely stay on board with them. It, it, it's, it is a classic conflict of interest because if I were their client, I would totally not take anything they say about Facebook or Instagram without a tremendous grain of salt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it's for, you know, I, 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 you're right. We haven't seen a lot of agencies kind of speak out about it and, and it is a, that is a conflict of interest for them as well. Um, you know, and I think that that's something that we need to be asking as well. You know, who is crafting these campaigns, you know, who's giving this advice, who is, you know, where is their contradictory advice coming from, and you know where is the money flowing? And in an industry that is so kind of um, uh, consolidated, it is, you're you're making good points about kind of uh, strange bedfellows and uh, an uncomfortable, um, uh, you know, uh, uncomfortable 
uh, joint sources of money, you know. Well, and you end up in this like position. So you look at Wyden and Kennedy, um, you know, which is generally kind of the most celebrated agency on earth at the moment, the last few years. And, you know, so you've got some of their clients like, like Coca-Cola, um, jumping in, you know, getting in on this boycott. And what's interesting is Wyden just put out this Black Lives Matter statement, you know, maybe a, a week and a half ago now, uh, where they said anyone who, any company that doesn't share, um, our values of, of believing that Black Lives Matter, we don't want them as a client and we will help them find another agency. And then, you know, a week later, uh, and even at the time, Facebook was in, you know, some hot water, uh, but not as much as right now. And so since they made that statement, you've got companies like Coca-Cola pulling out of Facebook saying, too much racism over here. And it it really makes you wonder, is Wyden and Kennedy going to act on that? So far, they have not commented. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's a strange thing to put out this statement saying, we will not work with any clients who do not share these values. And then you've got the NAACP and the Anti-Defamation League and your own clients saying, oh, no, that place, that place is not healthy. Uh, for for racial discourse, uh, and then it puts Wyden in this like kind of turns the eyes back to them of like, all right, well you said you weren't going to have any clients uh, that didn't share your values, so what's changed? You know, have your values changed, or has your position changed? Um, and I think in the next few days we're going to see that uh, shake loose a little bit. I think some of these agencies are going to realize that silence is deafening on a, on something like this. Um, but uh, the other thing I keep thinking about, too, is that, uh, you know, that these are the kinds of issues that young agency staffers have been raising for months, if not years. And a lot of these issues and issues about race and issues about these platforms. And I feel like agencies just have not listened to their bottom up feedback that they've been getting. And now they're starting to hear those exact same things from their clients, you know, from these like huge yeah. multi-billion dollar companies that are like, yeah, no, this is a huge problem. And it makes agencies look, um, you know, like sellouts, or I, I don't really know a better term, uh, opportunists. Opportunistic, yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think a lot of the times, you know, um, that is true. You know, uh, companies will often hear from their uh, from their employees before they hear from their customers. And, uh, and you know, sometimes they are given a kind of a chance before it gets out there. Um, so I think, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Um, you know, they had their moment to, to act, and, you know, now, it's, now it's, it's coming out. Well, so like I mentioned, I don't want to hold you up because you have about 17 more articles to write uh, this evening after we've uh, finished this podcast. But uh, let's talk about uh, Reddit, Twitch. I'm sure there are some others. But give us a quick update on what's been happening with some of these other platforms. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's been been a busy day in the world of content moderation. Um, Reddit officially um, banned hate speech on its platform. If you can believe it, in the year 2020 uh, until now, hate speech was not banned on Reddit. Um kind of, uh, maybe it doesn't surprise you if you've been on Reddit (laughs) and seen kind of the more unsavory aspects of of its communities. Um, But they explicitly banned hate speech and racist uh, rhetoric um, and all sorts of hateful rhetoric today in their actual rules. Uh, And they kicked off a number of um, of very hateful communities, including uh, the Donald, which is kind of the central hub for uh, support for the current president, um, on that platform, and it's just been kind of a, a mess for a number of years. Uh, no matter what you think of the president, it's kind of been a um, a hotbed of racism and hate and um, 
I mean, there's one instance where they were uh, literally encouraging people to go to the Unite the Right uh, white supremacist rally in Charlottesville that turned deadly. I mean, there's no shortage of, of instances of uh, them kind of uh, hosting and, and not removing bad speech. And uh, so that happened today, um, which is very, very big news. And they also banned some left, uh, kind of far left communities as well. And um, so that, that happened today. Um, Twitch, the Amazon-owned streaming uh, platform, banned, uh, temporarily suspended President Trump for comments that he made on his, at his rallies that were rebroadcast on Twitch, um, including one at the Tulsa rally and one from his kind of infamous 2016 um, uh, campaign rally where he said Mexicans are rapists, something to that effect. Uh, they're not bringing it, uh, us their best, I paraphrase. Um, and and they Twitch today said that that violates their policy on hateful conduct, and they temporarily suspended the president. Um, so we're kind of seeing a boiling up of all of these issues, um, A, around hate speech, and B, around how politicians act on these platforms and what rules they need to adhere to, um, because our current president um, routinely kind of... Um, uh, crosses that line or, or comes up very close to that line of what's acceptable speech online for any user on the platforms. Well, and, and Trump's response has generally been, I um, mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like us, you and I are both kind of living on Twitter most days and we see this in real time. But if, if something he says gets him in hot water uh, with the media, but definitely with these platforms, he just digs in harder. Right. He just he doesn't say, oh, good point. I really overstepped. <laughs> you know, it yeah, seems like like he he's just not entrenches. He's certainly not conciliatory. Uh, he's that's not his style. He's not like that in any aspect of life. Um, and anyone can see that. But, yeah, I mean, that being said, I think what's interesting is that in the first days of Twitter taking action against the president, which was which started, you know, in the first days of June, um, which seems like a very long time ago. Um, and he, uh, Twitter started putting a fact check label on his tweets. Twitter started um, uh, putting in the restriction on the, on the protest, the, the shooting protesters tweet, all that stuff. And you saw an immense amount of um, backlash from the president himself on Twitter about how he's being silenced and censored and his free speech is being, um, you know, uh, um, her or maligned, you know, by the by the platform, which wasn't true. Um, and since then, you're kind of not hearing that anymore. He is kind of taking the numerous um, 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 kind of content regulations that Twitter's imposed on him and just moving on. Uh, they hit him for copyright violations. They've hit him for um, manipulated media. A number of different things. Um, that he's, you know, in the, in the troves of tweets that he issues every day, um, some are bound to break the rules. Um, and he, he has kind of not been attacking them as much. So I think it's interesting to see where that comes back when Donald Trump will start attacking the social media companies. Um, I had a feeling kind of today with the Twitch decision, because it, it was the first time um, that something like that happened um, that could be directly traced back to Jeff Bezos, who he does not seem to like um, and has tweeted angrily about in the past, specifically about his ownership of the Washington Post and, and other things. Um, 
But if the president ever makes that connection that, hey, Twitch is owned by uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, maybe we will see some backlash. But I, I'm not convinced that he does know himself what Twitch is, uh, though his campaign has been broadcasting his speeches on there. Yeah. the And just to point out, you know, when you mentioned that he doesn't always respond when some of these tweets are flagged or whatever. I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that this is someone who this, you know, the president literally has tweeted hundreds of times a day. Uh, you know, there have been uh, I, I well, I, I think his record last I checked was 200 tweets in one day. Um, yeah, that includes re- it includes retweets. Um, but that was during some of the early police brutality protests. Um and I mean, so if you're if you're posting, I mean, I consider myself too active on Twitter, uh, like, t- and I probably maybe post like, uh, me too, ten a day. I don't, I don't know. I haven't really counted. Certainly not two hundred. <laughs> and the, and uh, you know, and that doesn't count. Fifty is a bad day for anyone. <laughs> yeah, you, like you're 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 working through some stuff when you. <laughs> You're going through 50. Um, and, uh, you know, so so I think, if, you know, if you're posting 200 things and one of them gets flagged every two weeks, uh, at that point, it's just a numbers game. Like, why even why even care? Um, but I think we've all kind of gotten so, um, you know, just numb to the, the quantity of posts that, that this president makes um, in, in in Twitter specifically. Uh, and, and, of course, like the vetting um, seems to be declining, um, which is maybe generous about the amount of vetting ever put into that. Uh, but he had a tweet uh, the other day that he, did he delete it or did the platform flag it uh, where the, he tweeted uh, a video yeah. where one of his supporters was yelling white power? He deleted it. Um, it was a quote tweet, I think, of a of a different video. Um, yeah, he, th- was, he was he, thanking them for like this. Thanking this. them. And nine seconds in, you know, one of his supporters literally screams white power and the the that is actually one of the rare circumstances where uh the camp the white house has been conciliatory and said like that they not that they regretted it but i forget what their excuse was they they, didn't hear it they didn't they didn't hear it which is um a classic washington um (laughs) excuse if you if you watch um if you watch politicians respond to comments half the time they'll say oh i didn't hear that oh Oh yeah, that's we're every. We're telling you. <laughs> yeah, whenever whenever a politician, a Republican especially, is asked about one of President's tweets, I I haven't checked Twitter. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't heard his... it, and they're being read it at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really classic. <laughs> um, and yeah, so anyway, the, I think that's interesting. That that leads another question about if if the president can delete tweets. Uh, we certainly haven't seen that before. There might be an. Uh, a presidential records kind of issue with that as well, an archive record, you know, uh, issue with that. But um, well, something, I mean, he, Lord, brought, Lord he, knows something he never, he shouldn't have tweeted in the first place. Yeah, he certainly know? deleted in the past. Like I remember, there have been several times where he he had like three or four typos in a row. You know, he would like delete it, re- retweet it, like tweet it again, delete it, tweet it again, delete it. And yeah. He, and like people would track. You know, there are many Twitter feeds out there that track all of Trump's tweets. Um, and. Yeah, and keep them forever, and you can just see it's like 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 workshopping a document, <laughs> you know, like the, you're the, looking at the revision history or something. The funniest thing I thought I saw, uh, the funniest thing I saw recently was maybe it was two weeks ago, which is like, you know, eight years in whatever dog year system that we're going on right now, um, is that someone created a Twitter account that said um, like, uh, let's see if Twitter will ban me or something like that, and they just tweeted everything that that Trump tweeted, but they weren't him. So it was like, will this be objectionable if it's not the president? And the account was banned after like three days. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, Twitter, do, you know, Twitter is holding the president to a harsher standard than Facebook or other social media companies, but certainly to no extent, um, you know, way, way more lenient with the president and other world leaders than regular users. And maybe to an extent they should be. Um, it's, you know, highly valued political speech and, you know, it happens to be on a private platform. So there's some ethical questions there. Um, but, you know, if an if an average user kind of tweeted the things that Trump did, they would be kicked off summarily within hours, probably. Well, and and one thing, not to get kind of philosophical, but something I've been thinking a lot about, and I hear this argument come up every once in a while, is you know that when you push out um, hate speech, when you push out some of these conversations to the margins of the internet, right, to the less regulated, less transparent portions of the internet, that it uh, exacerbates radicalism, right? It 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 uh, creates these ultra niche, you know, kind of QAnon, kind of uh, 4chan groups. And um, and so there are some people who think, oh, that just makes it worse. And I've, I've heard, I think I've literally heard the Southern Poverty Law Center say in the past that it makes it their jobs really difficult to track hate groups when they kind of go underground. If you remember, and I'm sure you do, Reddit, mm-hmm. uh, maybe what, three, four years ago, uh, tried to do the same thing. Uh, they tried to what did they call it? Quarantining or <laughs> yeah. So they, they quarantine. That's like basically they put it under you know a restriction where a user has to opt into it um, before they go in, and that's what the Donald had been before today. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't remember that it was one of those because it's like you just had to know it existed. You weren't going to find it on the front page. You weren't going to find it through search. Um, but uh, but anyway, that that's an argument that I think has intellectual merit. Is I guess my kind of half halfway of agreeing with it i I do i do think that that those conversations get a lot more dangerous and a lot freakier when they happen in a place like 4chan that has no you know real history no real tracking uh total anonymity but on the other hand you know every time i start to think that i feel like yet another white guy holding like an ayn rand book and and just being like well in a in a moral vacuum you know here's how these things would work man like then I just log into one of these platforms and I see the abject hate and misery that's inflicted on women and people of color and black Americans, especially right now, gay and lesbian and trans people. It's horrific. And so it's easy for me as someone to come from a position of privilege and be like, well, you know, there's downsides to, to marginalizing hate speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the other to be like to watch people being victimized by the fact that it's become mainstreamed. Uh, and I think it was in our uh, Elevate Creativity event that Adwick hosted the other day. I hope I'm remembering right that this was Colleen DeCourcy from Wyden and Kennedy who said this, is that like um, that hate hate speech just needs to be uh, moved back out, it, like b- out of so- social acceptance. <laughs> like racism, yeah. racism can no longer be that thing that it's okay to say out loud. Uh, and when I was a kid growing up in, in, in Alabama, where I still live in Alabama, when I was a kid growing up here, it was okay for people to say those things out loud. It should not have been. Yeah. Um, and and Alabama has changed dramatically over the years, uh, even though we don't always get credit for it. Uh, but then it was definitely not okay. Uh, and now you see that stuff creeping back in. So I don't know. It's not really a question for you. It's just something I keep going back. <laughs> I keep thinking about is like I love seeing hate speech uh, squashed. I, I I have zero tolerance for it, um, and and it really does drive me away from these platforms. Um, but on the other hand, I do I do worry about us getting back into an era of more anonymity, more radicalization in these kind of 
places at the in, not not necessarily in the dark web, but you know, like just on the edge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's important to know that these that kind of awful rhetoric will always have a place somewhere on the internet, um, and it's kind of the um, it's the discretion of these private companies, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all the way down the line in terms of their kind of professionalization and maturation, uh, Reddit, um, you know, 4chan, 8chan, I mean, Gab. So there's like, you know, there's always going to be alternatives if people's speech is, uh, is restricted on these platforms. And, and every once in a while you see people kind of go to a different platform for, you know, quote unquote free speech gab, or now there's this parlor app that everyone, all the kind of radical right wingers are going to. Um, but you know, if you've been on Twitter, you know that you can say almost anything you want on that platform. And we've all kind of been, certainly as a journalist, you know, uh, been victims of kind of very terrible things that people have said to me, uh, you know, over the years on that platform that didn't violate that, you know, or someone that I, something I, I, you know, reported and it didn't, wasn't taken down. Um, so imagine the worst thing that you've seen on Twitter and Facebook and then, you know, that's acceptable, but, you know, think about the things that aren't and what kind of awful things, you know, aren't being hosted. So I think it's important to kind of, you know, consider that these are private companies. They don't have to be, if, especially if they're introducing advertising, they certainly do not have to be beholden to this and can exercise their content moderation as they wish. Um, and it's for us as the public and as users uh, and for advertisers to debate kind of where those lines should be drawn. Um, and I think I'll bring it back to something that uh, Reddit CEO Steve Huffman said the other day on the call that I was on. Um, and he said that kind of the changing moment for him in his evaluation of whether, you know, we Reddit should be hosting unfettered free speech or not was that, um, and this is a guy who previously said that racism does not, explicitly does not violate Reddit standards. Um, and he said that his kind of realization was, you know, someone's logic that um, some speech cancels out other speech and prevents other people from speaking. And, uh, and, and that was kind of his point of realization that, you know, not all speech is protected, obviously, and, and other speech can discourage other people from speaking, you know, racist, misogynistic, uh, homophobic, transphobic speech. And I thought that that was kind of a poignant moment um, from someone who has long very publicly struggled with this question of, you know, how free speech should be on a private platform. Yeah, and, that, and that's something you, I think that's a really good point because that's the unifying thread of so much of the kind of content we're talking about is that its sole purpose for existing is largely to keep people from feeling comfortable enough to express themselves, right? Um, and it's, I, I'm sure that, that both sides of the political ideology spectrum claim that they suffer from this, but there there is certainly, I think, a special special heinousness um, to the kind of content that's directed at people in these marginalized groups. And if anyone who doesn't believe us, uh, I, I encourage you to go into a Twitter thread of, of any high profile, could just be a woman, but uh, definitely anyone from the LGBTQ community uh, who has a, a post go viral or, or go big, uh, you will, and then just read through the comments, go on to any TikTok video. Uh, that's done well, that was created by a woman or a person of color, and go through those comments. And uh, you will notice that almost all of it's about telling them to shut up. That's yeah. pretty, that's the recurring. TikTok, 
Yeah, I mean, TikTok is um, kind of the new hot thing, but uh, if you go on and, and go to any kind of uh, woman's video, it is full of misogynistic content. Uh, I think that's kind of the pre- prevailing um, kind of hate speech that I have personally seen on, on the platform, just kind of unfettered misogyny um, as a dominant theme on, on the comments of that app. And uh, not too much is, is done, in my opinion, to, to root that out. So every, ish, every, every social network has these problems, and they will always have these social problems, but um, these content moderation problems. But it's incumbent on the, the, these private companies who have the right to moderate this content as they see fit, uh, with a lot of protections from the government, um, and to, to make that a good place for everyone to be on. Or else people aren't going to use that app and advertisers aren't going to use that app. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting to see how TikTok, which, which I enjoy as a pla- as a creative platform, but, you know, they even turned, I would say they kind of almost weaponized uh, these negative comments where it's a feature now where you can take a comment on a video and make a video about that comment. And honestly, 95% of those, I never see someone making a video response to someone who said, thanks so much for making this video. This was great. You know, I I love that. I think that you're right. Um, that it, it completely twists the power dynamic uh, in a way. You know, just completely putting a harasser to shame. <laughs> that is kind of an upside of, of that. Yeah, and it's like I, I can't decide. Every every time I see that, I'm like, you know, that troll wanted this visibility, right? Like they wanted people to notice their comment. But on the other hand, it does give the content creators a way to highlight one of their comments and put it right at the top and be like, I'm making a whole video about this nasty comment calling me, you know, prostitute or whatever. Most of the time I see them removing it actually. Or, you know, someone just kind of being embarrassed to the point of removing that hateful comment. So I think there's some kind of bright spot bright Mm -hmm. spot about that feature that TikTok has that is very much unique to that platform, I think, in a way that doesn't exactly resonate on it's kind of a thing on Twitter with quote tweets, but not really. It doesn't have the same pang. Yeah, yeah. And there's just something more like you're really kind of aiming all your guns at that one comment uh, when you do that. So, you know, it's on the one hand, I think it's made uh, TikTok, I, I guess I would say more negative, but on the other hand, it has uh, given these content creators a way to really put people on blast uh, for being troglodytes. And uh, Yeah, and it know. doesn't mean that, that TikTok can't moderate its comments. They can still moderate that comments and, and some, you know, a snarky comment will always come through and should always come through, right? You know, Um it doesn't always have to be a positive place where people are saying that you're beautiful and everything's perfect. Um, you know, there can be negativity on the platform without it being harassment and misogynistic. Yeah. Yeah. That is the, that is the future we all crave. So we, <laughs> we'll see if we get any closer. Huge thanks, Scott Nover, for joining us. Uh, Scott covers platforms uh, for Adweek. You can check out all of his coverage on adweek.com. And man, there is a lot of it. Um, so by the time this podcast goes live tomorrow morning, you will probably literally have probably already written a few more articles about uh, all these brands and what's going on. So thank you for taking an hour to uh, talk it out with us. I really appreciate all the updates. Thanks for having me anytime you want. All right. This was a bonus episode of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It was produced by me, David Kreiner. Our theme music is by home and you can reach us at any time. It's podcast at adweek.com, podcast at adweek.com. And if you've not already, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Those make us feel good and they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Kreiner for Adweek and we are going to be off next week for the holiday. It's 4th of July this week, so we're going to 
take one episode off and then we'll be back the week after that. So we will talk to you then.